Lifestyle choices and environmental factors impact your brain health and the physiology and psychology of your mental health. When you're ready to turn your brain on to get your game on, listen to In Your Head Radio. Now here's your host, Lee Richardson. We've got a great show today. We've got two experts on how to have a divorce peacefully and how to handle that if you're an adult child. You know, we all think that when you're a little kid, we understand if you're upset, but there's a whole nother world out there that we're going to learn about. Carol Hughes is a California licensed marriage and family therapist. She's family-focused divorce professional in private practice in Laguna Hills, California. She holds her doctorate degree in clinical psychology, achieving both summa cum laude and Pi Beta Kappa honors, and is a two-time Fulbright scholar. She's a board-certified hypotherapist and EMDR. In 2003, Carol was a co-founder of Collaborative Divorce Solutions of Orange County, and that's dedicated to respectful, peaceful, out-of-court divorce solutions for family. In 2009, Carol went on to be a co-founder of the Collaborative Divorce Education Institute, and that was a nonprofit organization, and the mission was to provide training for professionals and education for the public about peaceful, respectful solutions for families who are restructuring before, during, and after the divorce. Carol's an author. She frequently trains and mentors mediation and collaborative divorce professionals. She's appeared on the Time Warner Public Television series, How to Get a Divorce. Carol, thank you. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for having me, Lee. I really appreciate it. Her cohort, Bruce, is he, the, the two of them have put together the book, Home Will Never Be the Same Again, A Guide for Adult Children of Gray Divorce. And that's what we're going to talk about today. But this helps families solve painful problems that they're struggling with and they haven't been able to solve on their own. Bruce is a California licensed marriage and family therapist, and he's board certified in clinical hypnosis. He has created and taught parenting classes for adoptive and foster parents, trained and experienced in chronic pain management, trauma, addictions, mediation, collaborative divorce. He helps families as a therapist, a divorce coach, a child and co-parenting specialist, and a mediator in his practice in Laguna Hills, California. In 2003, Bruce served on the, the board of directors in many different capacities the Collaborative Divorce Solutions of Orange County. From 2012 to 2019, he was a senior trainer for the Collaborative Divorce Education Institute. You guys have worked together for a long time, go way back in time. Yes, we have. And Bruce has gone on to create and present training programs for corporations, government agencies, schools. He's authored several audio learning and self-help programs. And the two of them together are very qualified experts. And they put their, their that knowledge base together. Bruce, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, you're very welcome. We're both really glad to be here. So the first thing that comes to mind, I mean, you guys go way back. You've done the same kind of work for for many, many years. Is that what inspired you to write the book? 
Bruce, do you want well, to take this one? Um, Carol and I met actually in graduate school many years ago, and uh, our friendship has continued. In fact, we often introduce each other. Uh, Carol is my best friend that I'm not married to. <laughs> and I've been married a long time, and Carol has too, and you know that works for us. And we started off in the same program, and then we've taken separate trainings and expert and developed other expertise. But we have also a lot of similarities, as you could tell. And Carol wrote a blog article for our practice group about adult children of uh, gray divorce. And this was about four years ago, and that article got picked up by a reporter from the New York Times who was researching that subject, and he interviewed Carol for the Times, and the New York Times being what it is, had millions of uh, subscribers and readers, and Carol's email uh, um, voicemail was flooded with calls from people who were going through that experience, adult children of gray divorce. And then sometime later, a literary agent for one of the top uh, publishing uh, reps in New York City uh, saw the article and called Carol up and asked her if she would be willing to write a book on it. And so Carol always says yes to new adventures. And she and I have started several books together that are in our computers. And so she called me up and asked me if I'd be willing to write this with her. And I said yes. And four years later, it's finally completed and it's out. That sounds like a labor of love to me. Right, right. Definitely <laughs> was. Definitely was. And um, the, you know, besides that we've always wanted to write together and have written some things together, not books, but trainings and things, uh, in our work in this peaceful divorce process, first I want to be clear, we don't promote divorce. Uh, but when people are divorcing, we promote family-focused peaceful, respectful divorce processes like mediation and collaborative divorce process. And so in our practice group of uh, attorneys and financial people and mental health professionals, we have seen how important it is for the adult children whose parents are divorcing, they're already adults, to be acknowledged and for what they're going through to be acknowledged and validated because they've reported feeling alone and kind of crazy because people say, well, you know, you're an adult now, as you were saying, Lee, in your introduction, what's the problem? You're an adult. But as Bruce is fond of saying, um, the parents who are going through divorce usually have some pretty significant, powerful feelings, many of them negative, even if they're happy to be leaving a marriage that didn't make them happy, I guess, would be a way to say it. They have negative feelings that are painful. Why does it make sense that we think the adult children shouldn't also be having deep, strong feelings, often very painful feelings? So that's really what inspired us as you know, to write the book. Well, and I think, too, if we look at some statistics, the U.S. divorce rate for people over 50 doubled from 1990 to 2010 mm -hmm. and is projected to triple by 2030. That's only 10 years away. Right, right. So this is a growing population that's going to need some attention. Definitely, definitely. Yes, and it's it's much larger than most people would imagine. Um, the last statistics that came out in the research <clears throat> were that uh, over 300,000 
couples in the United States alone uh, in this demographic, <clears throat> over 45 or 50, uh, are going to go through this uh, divorce experience. And so 300,000 couples, of course, versus 600,000 individuals. And in that demographic of baby boomers and Generation Xers, they typically have one to two kids. So that's another 300 to 600,000 people who are getting disrupted and hurt by this. So somewhere between 900,000 and 1.2 million people enter this experience every year. And the people who were hurting last year are still hurting because this is not just an underserved, but an unserved population. And so a number, you know, several years of people escalating at about a million new people per year have been going through this experience and feeling that nobody understands them. And the divorcing parents make a lot of mistakes that make the healing of the family much more difficult if they're not avoided. So you can see it has a large impact and it's around the world. Well, you know, the last thing that I can imagine, I've been married, it'll be 41 years this month. And, okay. you know, I, I, we, thank you. We all know that's work. Yes. Um, but we've all known people that stay together just for the sake of the children. And then finally, you know, when the children are grown and they go out on their own, they, they finally get around to having that divorce. What have you seen? Do the children, I mean, I often think, times think the kids know why they're still together. They know they're staying together for the sake of the children. Has that been what yeah. you both have seen? Usually, yes. The children are not um, as ignorant as a lot of parents think. Um, and many of the adult children, uh, there's a little bit of research on adult children, which we included in the book. There isn't much. Um, but the research indicates that uh, a lot of the adult children are saying, golly, was my whole life a lie? Was it all smoke and mirrors? I mean, were you guys lying to me f always the whole time? Uh, were we not the happy family that seemed like, you know, the poster Poster, poster families, excuse me, for happy, well-adjusted families. Was that all a lie? And so that's that's one of the um, issues that the adult children struggle with. And so, yeah, the kids do know. Usually they do know. Even if they thought they didn't know <laughs> when the divorce happens, um, they do. They all of a sudden realize, oh, yeah, there were so many indicators what, what was I just having, you know, um, magical thinking, which young kids have, uh, that my parents wouldn't divorce. I just didn't want to see it. I didn't want to deal with it. So there's a lot going on with the adult children when their parents divorce. Well, Bruce, from, from what you've seen, what's, you know, after, good Lord, after 25 years together, what's driving that divorce? Is it finances? Is it legal issues? Is it emotions? What's the driver? Well, I think you touched on um, some of the big ones, Lee. And uh, for example, um, people often come together and get married when they're um, right out of high school or they're right out of college or in college. And then as they start to live together for you know a number of years, or they start to discover that maybe they're not that ideally suited, but many of them by then have a child or children and or they're starting their careers. And they put a lot of effort and energy into that and they just adapt to 
well, you know, I'm with this person, but it's, you know, my life is going this way and I've got this structure. And then when they get older and the kids are gone or they're hitting retirement age um, and they start evaluating, you know, are we just tolerating each other? Is this what my life is going to be for the next few decades? Because people are living uh, longer in the sense of they're having healthier uh aging uh, than they did in the past. So people have been exercising a lot. So uh, women initiate most of these divorces. And, uh, you know, we're seeing that the change in um, economics where women uh, over the last, uh, I guess, 50 years have entered the workforce in in greater numbers and have their own careers, as, as you know, well, you're a good example and Carol's a good example, my wife. And so they're not dependent on their husbands for economic survival. And People expect more out of marriage than just uh, a business arrangement or, or just, you know, it's, it's, it's there and I'm, I'm, I'm stuck with it. So when those things all come together, um, we're seeing people just who want more out of marriage uh, initiate divorce and decide that they'd rather, if somebody once put it uh, to me, I'd rather be alone than tormented. And so I think all those things come together and women have a better opportunity to do that now. So is it that women have more personal freedom? I mean, Carol, you've, you probably have had personal freedom professionally for, for mm-hmm. all your life. But a, for a lot of women, they haven't. And mm-hmm. being able to, to make a decision that, you know what, I don't, I don't have to put up with this. I don't mm-hmm. have to. I mean, I have a client that her husband gives her an allowance and this is year 2020 of $100 a month. Mhm. Yes. Yes. Uh couple that, of tanks of gas. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's yes, yeah, so and 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 certainly we know uh that women have as Bruce was explaining, you know, achieved more financial independence and you know, professional and careers, and and there's still a lot of women who you know worked part time or stopped their profession or their career, or didn't even have one in this age group uh, when uh, when they had children, um, and so but they've as as our culture has progressed, and by the way, these are these numbers are happening in all the industrialized countries in the world. It isn't just the U.S. We'll give you some of the nicknames they've given for those in a minute. Those people divorcing. Um, the uh, the the women are just as you say, probably your friend. I mean, the women are feeling like I want more from my life than this. And also, if they have chosen to be stay-at-home moms, which is a fine path, but their job goes away. You know, once their children grow up and leave the home for whatever reason. And uh, whereas the husband may have continued to be, you know, in their his or her his profession or career, and women are wanting more. And also in our culture, <clears throat> we what's happened in, uh, for example, if we look at 2001, 45% of Americans considered divorce morally acceptable, and by 2014, the research showed 69% of Americans considered divorce morally acceptable. So, you know, part of it is cultural, too. It isn't just about the individual. Um, so, yeah. And I'll just add what I was going to say about the names. Uh, in Japan, they call this phenomenon the retired husband syndrome, which speaks for itself. 
in the United Kingdom, they're called the silver splitters. In Canada, they call them the diamond divorcees. Uh, so they've got all these little names. Uh, and, and the researchers at Bowling Green State University coined the term gray divorce revolution when they were doing this research uh, off of the U.S. Census, by the way. And they've now published uh, between 1990 and 2015, the divorce rate in this age group is still doubling. And they're the ones who predicted it will triple by 2030 the researchers at Bowling Green State University. Wow. that When you just listen to those numbers, they're huge. Mm-hmm. And I think that for, for adult children, it's so different than from younger children. And I'm just curious, do you often see the situation where there's both adult and younger children in the family? Uh, it- it happens enough that we've, we've come, up, come across that with couples in our work with uh, collaborative divorce and mediation. Um, both Carol and I will often act as the voice of the children in the divorce. Uh, the ch- children don't have a choice whether the parents are going to divorce, but they do have a voice in it. And so when there are younger and older children, of course, they're having different experiences. The older ones did get the advantages of uh, Growing up with an intact family, albeit perhaps an arguing one or a high-conflict one or an unhappy couple, they still had the benefits of the the continuity, and the younger ones are, are, are losing that. So it's really helpful to get the older ones to help support the younger ones in going through this transition, which puts a burden on them, of course, because... The older ones are going through a their own transition of the dissolving of the family, but fortunately for them, at least they're out of the house. And so there's there's different needs at those times, and um, I think that answers some of your question. Well, I think you did, and you know, but but I can see myself as a as a counselor and as a therapist, my heart going out to those younger those younger children, and what just looking through your book and in conversations the three of us have had, I understand now that there is a lot. My heart needs to go out to those adult children too. Absolutely, yes, and there's a lot of research over the last thirty years about minor children you know, 18 and younger or 17 and younger going through divorce and how parents can help, you know, things be better for them and adjusting and so forth, but not much at all, almost nothing for adult children. And I wanted to throw this in here too. The What we know from the research with minor children uh, does apply to the adult children. The number one reason, the factor, number one factor uh, that, why minor children struggle with divorce, adjusting to divorce, is the level of conflict between their parents. So if they're, you know, one of these battle lines drawn uh, kind of divorces, you know, all the dirty laundry, bloodbath kind of divorce, that does not fare well for the minor children. Definitely not. And imagine the adult children either. I mean, they're still humans. They still have feelings. And some of the older adult children already have their own children. And so these battle divorces, the kids, the grandchildren don't get to see their grandparents or their aunts and uncles or, you know, people draw these battle lines. And that's not what family should be about. You know, family is forever. 
So we need to have compassion, as you were saying, uh, Lee, for both the minor children and the adult children. Well, if, if you're an adult child right now and you're in the middle of a great divorce, um, what, what do they need to know? What would you, what would you to tell them? Bruce, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? Well, the first thing is uh, I've noticed that um, people in general get told, the parents get told that uh, they don't need to worry about their adult children, just like often they'll, if kids are teenagers, people will say the kids are going to be fine. And, and that's very seductive for parents to believe because uh, who doesn't want their kids to be fine and that, to be fine? And that's just one more thing to not have to worry about. And so often the adult children, you know, having been raised in the same environment, think that, well, you know, why am I being so uh, upset about this? I'm a grown-up, I'm on my own, and yet they're having all these disturbing feelings. And so I would want them to know that those are normal, that um, it's predictable. You would, if, uh, if somebody's parent died, we would understand that they were disturbed and that they were having a hard time with it. So the same thing would I would think would be happening with uh, people whose family is dissolving, it's dying, right? You know, just, it's the death of a family. So their feelings are very normal. And oftentimes they're um, encouraged to believe or they do it to themselves. They think something's wrong with them for having such a heavy reaction. And it's not. So what I hear you say is that, you know, it doesn't matter whether you're 10 or 30. When your family is disintegrating and your sense of self is being impacted by that, it's okay to not be okay. Exactly, exactly. And we have a lot of stories in the book that are composites of clients that we've worked with over the years without their, you know, correct names, of course, for their confidentiality. And I mean, the impact that they that they talk about and some of the other people who've read the book now and given us feedback, these adult children, I mean, they have trouble at work concentrating. You know, they're starting to drink too much. Their parents are leaning on them too much. They're using them as their own counselor or their own best friend. Uh, and then they're struggling in their own profession, maybe to, you know, support their own family and their own children. And then they're upset because mom and dad have drawn battle lines, if they have. Of course, not all divorces are that way, but the ones that are definitely affect, you know, the adult children. Well, you know, it's interesting because even growing, you know, I had twin boys, thirty-two, and you know, from the from the very early ages, one would turn to my husband for help and the other would turn to me. And I don't know if it's because there were two of them and two of us or if it was just a a natural inclination. So and those patterns develop over the years. So I would assume that for some, some adult children are placed in the middle. Well, you know, you've always taken care of dad. You have to take care of dad now. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah, that would be pretty predictable. Uh, the other thing that happened is a lot of times each uh, divorcing parent, the mother and the father, their own siblings, who are the aunts and uncles of the uh, adult children, and if their parents are still living, the grandparents, uh, often will side with the, with their own child or their own, their own kin. And so they will often um, start bad-mouthing the other parent around the 
the adult child and expecting them or inviting them to join in to a conversation about how awful the other parent is. And um, so that starts to tear people apart. So an another thing I wanted to throw in is what I would want to advise the adult children and also the divorcing parents is to do everything you can to avoid having other family members uh, tell the adult children which parent they are allowed to have a relationship with and which parent they need to shun. Uh, because every child is going to have their own relationship with each of their parents. And it's going to be a different relationship than the parents have with each other. So it becomes a boundary issue that we think should be identified and encouraged for people to understand no one has the right to deny a child to have their own relationship with either of their parents. So even though they are getting divorced, their parents are getting divorced, they're divorcing each other, but they're not divorcing the child. Right. Right, which often happens if if the child, adult child isn't, shockingly, isn't as happy for, especially the parent who leaves the marriage, often looking on to having a happier life. Maybe they're already involved with someone new. The adult children aren't so very happy for that uh, that parent divorcing, and then that causes a rift in uh, the family and the relationship between the parent and the adult child. And um, so that that's another issue that uh, parents aren't really aware of. Well, why can't you just be happy for me? Don't you want me to be happy? Well, of course, the adult children want their parents to be happy, but they're dealing with a lot of losses, uh, as are the parents. But often the parent that wants out of the marriage, often it's only one, sometimes it's both. Uh, that parent is so looking forward and happy to be, you know, getting out of the marriage, but kind of leaves the trail of wreck and ruin for the other spouse and, and the adult children and sometimes grandchildren. Well, you brought up a really good point, Carol, and it, it is. You have to, I would think, go through the grieving process. You're grieving yes. the loss of the relationship. Yeah. And we'll talk, we'll talk about that when we come back from break. But before we do go to break, Bruce, is there any other point that you'd like to make? You know, what do you need to know if you're an adult child and you're in the middle of a great divorce? I think that everybody in the family should consider uh, getting some help from a clergy or an experienced uh, family therapist who's been trained to deal with divorce because um, for most of the families, this is uh, something they've never been through before. And it's not, you know, the, 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 the ups and downs, the rocky places are not going to be a one-off event. They're going to keep happening and go back and forth and other things will show up. And these people, you know, most families have, have no rehearsal for this. And whatever plans that the uh, divorcing couple had when they were married, this definitely was not it. So I think it's... Um, useful for them to understand that everybody is hurting and there's going to be mistakes made and we might need some help. Well, I think, you know, that that's a really good point. And what my advice would be is be kind to yourself. You know, don't don't feel guilty for your grieving. And, and we'll talk more about that when we get back. We'll be back after these messages. If you're ready for a big change in your work, your career, your happiness, your life, it's time for the Million Dollar Mindset with Marla Tabaka. Monday afternoons at 2, 1 central on Toginet.com. 
Marla believes that with the right mindset, anything is possible. Join us as successful life coach Marla Tabaka inspires you and her clients to explore, discover, and live your dreams by developing what she calls the million-dollar mindset. Marla will inspire you to take action on your dreams and reveal secrets to success that will help you realize your own unique power. Tune into the million-dollar mindset for heartwarming stories with Marla Tabaka. Learn tips and tricks to building a successful business and unlock the secrets to creating a happier, more balanced life through abundant thinking and attraction power. For more information on the Million Dollar Mindset, go to our website, MarlaTabaka.com. That's M-A-R-L-A-T-A-B-A-K-A.com. It's the Million Dollar Mindset with Marla Tabaka. Monday afternoons at 2, 1 p.m. Central on Toginet.com. I woke up this morning only to discover I was all out of coffee. Big Miss Kabobble. Without my morning cup of joe, I get a bad case of the molly grubs. So what can you do when you run out of coffee? Well, a one-ounce milk chocolate bar has six milligrams of caffeine. Thank goodness for leftover Halloween candy. Did you know apples are more efficient than caffeine in keeping people awake in the morning? Acorns were used as a coffee substitute during the American Civil War. I was feeling so brickety, I drove down to the local coffee shop. As I was getting out of the car, I realized I was still in my pajamas. Thank goodness for drive through coffee. What's the word for the cardboard holder they put around your coffee cup so it's not too hot to hold? A zarf. It's marching I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words-you-never-heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. We're back. Now here is your host, Lee Richardson. We're back and we're starting to talk think about, you know, when you get a divorce, it's the it's the end and you've lost something. And there's a grief cycle that we go through whether we've lost a job or a spouse or a friend. So, let's talk about that a little bit. Okay. You know, we have, throughout the book, Lee, we have, and you you read it, I know, so you saw that we have quotes from, you know, famous people that we thought were applied to what we were writing about in that chapter, and the chapter on shock and then grieving starts out by a quote from Pat Conroy, who wrote The Great Santini, Uh, he's an American novelist, and he says, divorce has many witnesses, many victims, each divorce is the death of a small civilization. And we put that at the beginning of that chapter because we want people to know that, as you very well said, Lee, that uh, any loss encompasses a grieving. And so we have a whole chapter on first there's shock because the adult children are surprised and then most of them are surprised. And then the grieving ensues and we talk about the different types, different um theories of grieving and techniques and so forth that people can use uh, to heal that and go through that grieving process. And one of my favorites is a drawing uh, of the losses from divorce. It's a tree with all the losses on it. And most all of those losses illustrated apply to the parents, and a lot of them apply to the adult children and even the grandchildren, as I was talking earlier about losses of extended family. If the aunts and uncles line up against, you know, each parent or grandparents don't want to be in the same room, you know, holiday celebrations, birthdays, all that. 
So grieving, we want people to understand that, that all these losses affect people, uh, the, the parents as well as the adult children, and they need to be grieved. And when we grieve as we're going through something, it's not like a one-time event, you know, for an hour or something. Well, do you do you see the people going back and forth? I mean, it starts with denial. Then I'm sure, you know, you get a little anger and then you get depression. And mm-hmm. I mean, with my clients, I see them just bouncing back and forth yes. until they get to acceptance. Yes. And that's the hard part. Yes, you're right. And it's not a linear. We want people to know it's not a linear, you know, A, then B, then C, then D. They do bounce back and forth. In fact, there's a a phrase in in English, and it exists in most languages uh, in the world, uh, the, the waves of grief. Grief comes in waves. And so, you know, we have a calm sea, and then the waves pick up. And people think they're through with it. They think they're in acceptance, and then another big wave crashes on them. And that's all completely expected. And it doesn't mean that they have a mental illness, uh, or as some uh, adult children say, I thought I was crazy because I was in, I was depressed, as you just mentioned. Uh, it was interfering with my work. It was interfering with my time with my kids. So, yeah, definitely does not go in a straight line. So, Bruce, you know, what I've seen is with clients that are going through divorce, and and I certainly look at it with lots less expertise than you do, but it's almost like they go numb. Yeah, I think that's a good description. A lot of people report that they use the word surreal. It's, uh, you know, this is surreal. And and I know for people, uh, it's one thing to imagine even if you're a child growing up and you thought your parents should divorce, it's one thing to imagine that your parents would should divorce and how it would be. And with most hard things in life, the reality is much harsher, much um, more impactful than what we imagine. So that that's a pretty common experience when you're you're thinking of, of numbness. I think that's a great word too. Mm-hmm. And numbness is part of shock, of course. You know, a lot of people know that if we're cut deeply, you know, on our arm, you know, we don't feel how deep that pain really is because that's part of our body's normal reaction to prevent us from fainting. Um, And so that numbness happens emotionally as well. Very, very wise of you to point that out, Lee. Yeah, people need to know that. But eventually we come out of the numbness and then we're feeling the depths of the losses. And that can be immobilizing sometimes. So I have a question for you. You know, I think of, because I've worked with people that have had abandonment issues. Mm-hmm. And and I, and I can imagine that young children would have those. Do adult children have those too? Uh, sure. It, it, it's, you know, it's, it's the disintegration of their life. And these attachment uh, bonds are, are very deep. That's it's one of the most researched uh, ideas about human beings there is, is the idea of from the cradle to the grave. Uh, you know, these things are very strong in us. And if you think back to early humans, um, being uh, left alone, being kicked out of the tribe for any reason, that was like a death sentence. So I think there's even evidence that it seems like it's in our DNA to want to have these attachments and to depend on them. They're part of our identity for who we are. And, and since that context of the, for the identity is taken away, people feel, feel just lost. 
It's amazing to me how our feelings, you know, we go through different stages of development and our feelings become more complex, but they don't change a whole lot, do they? Mm -hmm. No, no. And the more complicated the adult child's life is, and not to minimize the younger adult children, uh, the ones that are in college or they're getting training, you know, for a, a craft or a career, uh, or maybe they're already married. Um, but the more complicated their lives are, if they have their own children, they're going through career changes, things like that, they're ill maybe, some of the adult children are struggling with their own illnesses, uh, then the more difficult the adjustment is. Um, just as with minor children, the more complicated their lives are, the more difficult it is for minor children to adjust. And we've, the, the research that exists so far, Lee, on adult children is uh, from children 18 to 50 years old, the adult children, and their parents are divorcing. Uh, but we've dealt with 60- and 70-year-old adult children. Uh, we talked with an attorney a couple weeks ago who had a 92-year-old man in his office wanting to get a divorce. And his children were like in their late 60s and 70s. So this is not um, a small population, as we've talked about earlier. Oh, wow. Another thing I wanted to throw in is that, you know, in, in most families, there's a general assumption that we're, we're all in this for each other. And, there, and the parental unit is unified, at least to the extent that they have mutual interests. You know, they're always working for what's good for everybody. And now the adult children are dealing with the reality there is no unified parental unit anymore. And that the parents may have interests that are mutually exclusive of the other's welfare. And so that contributes to that sense of abandonment and being lost in the world. Because um, if, if you think of it, you're, when you were growing up, your view of your parents, you, you just assumed that, that they had uh, theirs and yours and each other's interests in common. And these weren't necessarily spoken out loud. Families tend to have understandings that are both uh, verbalized and others that are never said, but everybody understands it. And then all those are in flux, and the new ones take a while to get to get uh, rebuilt as to what are going to be the rules of our family. And in the meantime, it's just like um, floating and getting pulled you know, and I don't know about you, but when I don't have my boundaries, I that kind of takes me off balance. Mm -hmm. And when, when you talk about, I mean, what are the rules? Okay, so we're having a wedding. Can he come and bring the woman he's dating? Would that upset mom? Or can mom come and, and bring her new husband? Would that upset dad? I mean, setting boundaries, I would think, would be a huge ordeal. Definitely. Uh, and both the adult children and their parents need to learn about setting boundaries and what are healthy boundaries. In fact, we have a, a chapter in the book about boundaries. And, and most of the topics that we're talking about, even though we say it's a chapter, they're woven into all the chapters because, as we said earlier, you know, human development and experience is not linear, A, B, C, D, E. But boundaries, the adult children need to learn that they can set boundaries for example, earlier Bruce was talking about, you know, the, the parents relying too much on, on their adult children. Um, and I mentioned even having them act like their counselor or their dating buddy. We've heard stories about that as well, and the research talks about it too. So the adult children need to learn that it's healthy 
to set a boundary and say, you know, if the parent's trying to talk to them bad mouth, as Bruce said earlier about the other parent, you know, mom or dad, I love both of you. And I don't want to hear negative things about either one of you. You're both my parents and I, I want a relationship with both of you. So please don't talk to me negatively about my other parent. That would be an example. Or the adult children, if the parents aren't uh, willing to try to have some holidays or celebrations together, like graduations or birthdays, the adult children can decide that they're going to have their own celebrations. And mom and dad may or may not come, depending on if you know they're going to be polite to each other. And uh, one of our chapters is about communication. We invited a, a colleague who's world-known uh, expert on communication, and she wrote a chapter toward the end of the book and gives good, uh, good language that the adult children can say to the parents if they're saying, well, I'm not going to come to the graduation if your mom or dad does. And she gives really good, you know, tools, actual sentences that the adult children can say. And all of those encompass the boundaries that you're asking about, Lee. Well, and I guess, too, I was just going to say, you know, I guess it's, too, about not taking sides. Right, Bruce? Mm-hmm. Uh, yes. And, and for a lot of families, it's hard to talk about these things or even, that, you know, they uh, now the, the word boundaries you know, it's fairly well known in our, our culture now. In fact, the uh, comedian Amy Schum- Schumer, uh, she said, I took my mom to a soccer game the other day. I wanted to show her what a boundary looked like. And so, you know, it's even part of the vernacular. But still, it's hard for families in turmoil to talk about this. And families who've never talked about things very much anyways are going to shy away from stepping into that. And so trying to tell uh, the other family members that, you know, I'm don't talk to me about my other parent or, you know, don't get my child caught in this mess. There may be unspoken rules in this family that you're not allowed to say that sort of thing. And healthy families, when they're having problems, tend to talk more. But families that don't talk about problems talk even less during this kind of a crisis. And I'm putting an emphasis on that because in the book, of course, as Carol pointed out, we have put scenarios and language people can use. So the book is designed to help them bridge that gap. Uh, But again, I think that um, if the family would do well to put aside their reluctance to find professional help or, you know, help from their clergy, because um, as one of our um, attorneys once said, an attorney can tell you the value of an an annuity or a pension plan or a financial person can tell you those values. But what's the value of being able to dance at your daughter's wedding and not have people cringe because you show up? And so um, these are really important things. And and, and without being aware of it, people won't pay more enough attention to these. And it will really cost them most of what they really value in the long run if they value relationships with their children going forward. What else is there? If you don't have a relationship with your family, I mean, what else is there? Exactly. Relationships are at the core of being human, period. That's a a quote that we start out the book with by a psychiatrist who developed the Mindfulness Research Institute at University of California, Los Angeles. Relationships are about being human, period. 
Well, you know, when I think about relationships and I think about families, I think about traditions. And what if you've had this tradition, you know, for the last 60 years and now and and you've supported it, but you never, you know, now you don't have it. So even though maybe you didn't love it, it's what you've done for 60 years. Mm -hmm. (laughs) How do you work around that? Well, it's a common problem, and people will, some people will just abandon it. Sorry, I missed that. Could you say it again? Pardon? Um, I'm not sure what that was. Uh, um, was something in but the you were computer, saying again. So, yes. You were, yeah. Yes. Um, people will sometimes just abandon a family tradition because they don't know what to do. Others will try to take it over and try and reestablish it. And then, or, and others will start developing, well, we have two Thanksgivings and we have two Christmases and we have two Passovers or whatever they're doing. And a big mistake uh, people can make is to try and stick a template on it that resembles the old family or those billboards we all see at Thanksgiving with the happy family around the uh, the turkey and everybody's got big smiles. And number one, most people don't have families that are exactly like that, so it can lead them astray. But particularly when the family's breaking apart and people are keep trying to establish the old ritual in places that doesn't work, it's almost always doomed to failure. And we suggest that they start um, creating new traditions with the real people that they actually have, not these fantasy people. And so they don't miss the, the good times that are possible right here, right now with the real people in your life as they are, not as you wish they were. Well, you make a good point because, you know, social media has compa- has turned us into a comparative society. Mm-hmm. You know, we see all this stuff on social media and it's like, well, wow, my family never sits down and has a dinner like that. <laughs> yeah. And neither does that family. <laughs> mm-hmm. So it's, yeah. it's time to bring new tradition. What I hear you say is it's, you know, you've got to set your new tradition and mm-hmm. and. New tradition, that means you got to start thinking about maybe your parents are going to date. Maybe they're going to remarry. Um, and that could be a little overwhelming. Definitely. We also address that in the book, too, Lee. We have a chapter for the adult children, uh, what to do when your parents are starting to date. Repartnering uh, the research with the older generation shows that a lot of them are living, just simply living together or living separately but still committed to each other, but they're not remarrying. Some are remarrying as well. We talk about all that. And then also for the parents, what should they be aware of relative to dating and repartnering and remarrying and how it affects their adult children and their extended family? Yes, they deserve to be happy. And if we look at all of this, and we're trained as family therapists, uh, as the restructuring of families. And if people look at it as restructuring, how, are, how is our family going to look different? How is our family going to look the same? What can we keep? What do we need to reorganize? Um, that's really helpful. So those are some really how-to chapters uh, toward the end of the book so that parents and their adult children learn some tools and skills. It's really common for the introduction of a new significant other 
to cause a lot of problems for the for the adult children to accept. And I also see that in in families where one of the parents has died prematurely, and the uh, even when the children are adults, they really have a hard time accepting mom or dad's new person. Number one, they just might not like the person, but even if they do, it's such a it's such a change in the context. They're not used to seeing their parents being affectionate and dating. In fact, they, in growing up, they never experienced their family, their parents as dating other people or being affectionate to other people. And so if one of the parents is bringing somebody um, into their life who um, was somewhat seen as responsible for the divorce even happening, um, all those things require conversations uh, among the all the family members to, to figure out what they can do to make it easier on everybody. And that doesn't mean for the other parent to just take the easy way out of abandoning grandchildren or their children for holidays, but maybe making it easy for them to um, do separate things without their significant other until the family gets used to the fact that they are divorced and they're not together anymore. Well, I think what you said about, you know, you have to keep the conversation flowing. You've got to talk about it. Mm-hmm. And that's so hard when our feelings are hurt and when we're upset. We don't want to talk about it. So in the last few minutes, what are some, for people that are getting a divorce, what are some things that they can do to help their family? Well, firstly, we tell the adult parent, I mean, sorry, the parents who are divorcing, if you have adult children, don't just assume that it won't affect them. We've talked about that a lot, I think, in talking with you today. And don't expect them to be as happy for you as you might be. We talked about that, too. And please don't enroll them as your primary emotional support. And don't, don't, don't try to enroll them in taking sides against against the other parent. Well, and let's talk about that because I see in my client base, I tell them all the time, your family is not your therapist. Right. Do not use your family as your therapist. So I think whether you're going through divorce or, or not, it's just something that we're we tend to do. Yes. Yes, and it's not healthy, period. Uh, there, 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 many times we cannot say something so direct in our field, as you know, Lee. You know, uh, it's not healthy, but this isn't. I mean, there are lots of people, as Bruce mentioned earlier, professionals, clergy, um, educators, divorce educators, people can talk with, the parents can talk with. Um, their, their children and their extended family are, you know, dealing with the changes in the family themselves as well. So don't burden them, please, by talking to them about the process you're going through, parents. And and some divorced parents turn family celebrations like the birthdays and the graduations and the weddings, they turn them into family traumas because they haven't healed enough to control their own anger or pain. Um, and so it's important to keep in mind when attending those family celebrations, uh, don't make it uh, don't make it about you. Make it about the person who's um, being celebrated. And if someone is in so much pain that they want to demand they'll only attend if the other person's not there, um, they would do well to 
do some work with a professional and find a way to at least manage it better so that they don't miss those celebrations and rob their, their family of that as well. Because the divorce process is going to impact family relationships going forward. Yes, definitely. And what the research shows is that the father's relationship with children, minor and adult, is more negatively impacted by uh, divorce than the mothers in general. Uh, and part of that is because women are considered the kinship keepers in most industrialized countries. And so um, the kinship keepers are the ones that focus on the relationships. And often dads haven't been as much a part of that. This is a generalization, of course. So if they choose, if the parents choose a family-focused divorce process, that focuses on the family, not just the couple, uh, then it's a better chance that those relationships can be preserved and everyone will be better off, everyone in the family and the extended family. Right, so the adult children could help themselves and their parents by helping them become aware of those alternatives because most people think of divorce, they think of litigation, which we mm -hmm. see as combat divorce. And if they go into an adversarial process, it's a high risk that you're going to have a higher conflict divorce. And then there's just a lot of damage that wasn't there before that now has to be overcome before the family can even start a healing process. And a lot of that can be avoided if the adult children and the parents are educated as to those alternative uh, processes. You guys have shared so much great information and really everything that we've, not everything, but most that we've talked about today comes from your book that you co-authored and that's Home Will Never Be the Same Again. And with that, is that available on Amazon or where can people find that? It is definitely available on Amazon as a hardback, as an audiobook and Kindle, and it's available on the publisher's website in hardback and an ebook. And the publisher is Roman Littlefield. And if people wanted to learn or to reach out to you both individually, Carol, how would they find you and where would they find you? Okay, um, they can go to my website, which is www.divorcepeacemaking.com. Dot com. We've also created uh, an email address for the book, which is the name of the book, Home Will Never Be the Same Again, at gmail.com. If they want to email us, we will answer them. We've also created a free report that we'll send them that talks about what the adult children and the parents can do to make this a more peaceful time. Bruce? Yeah. Uh, you can find me at www orangecountydivorcecoach.com. Uh, Carol and I are also both have our profiles up on the website Collaborative Divorce Solutions of Orange County, CDSOC, and the International Academy of Collaborative Professionals also has uh, information on how to contact us and who we are and what we do. Well, I can't thank you both so much for being with us today, and, and really, you've opened my eyes. I I know people that are older and have gotten divorced, but I didn't know that there were that many of them, and I didn't know that there were going to be that many more of them. So I think that just giving people education and helping other people to open their eyes, because you don't know. We never know what's going to happen to us, and I don't know about you, but I always feel like if I'm a little prepared... I can handle it a lot better. Definitely. So 
Thank you again, both of you. I certainly am not trying to send people your way, but if you're going to have to go through a divorce, what a nice way to do it. On behalf of Lee Richardson and the Brain Performance Center, we want to thank you for listening. If you'd like to hear more episodes like this, visit us on iTunes, Google Play, TogiNet, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Spotify,